0: So uh, I heard a story some time back,
1: uh, and I'm not going to let the details get in the way of a good story, right? Okay, so just just uh, putting that out there. But uh, I heard a story uh, quite a few years ago of uh, a man that uh, had his left arm amputated, and uh, as it turns out, it was the wrong arm that got amputated, and he lost both arms that day. Because somewhere between the radiologist, not you, Gavin. Somewhere between the radiologist and the doctor, they flipped the scan around. And they operated on the wrong arm. And uh, I kind of got thinking, uh, thinking about that and kind of thinking like, how often do we find ourselves in positions where we make decisions but we have misidentified what the x-ray truly says. We've misidentified, there is nothing, we, uh, TV can take us to lands, fantastical lands, can get us into places, but there is nothing like an x-ray to reveal what's going on in the human body, to expose the invisible to become visible. And so today, I wanna help us not become like one man that went in for one thing and had another thing removed, but how do we continue to make courageous calls in the midst of not having the full picture of everything, and yet we still have to partner with God in moving forward in this kingdom that He's called us to? And so I want to help us, uh, I want to help us make courageous calls by just looking at two things called perspective and procedure. And that's where we're going to go today. And so I, I do want to say this that uh, many of you will know that there's been an interesting time amongst one of our ministries, uh, and, and, and some of you will have received an email this past week, uh, just as we have released the Domino Foundation as a ministry of Anthem Church. Um, and so this message is birthed out of just something of my processing over the last eight and a half months to get here. So it's not about the Domino Foundation, But it is about helping us make courageous calls in the midst of brokenness that is this world that we live in, which has the effect of sin and full of sin in it. And so we have this responsibility of living a life with a coming kingdom and our desire to see Jesus again come back and make everything right. And we have to still live today, and so it's this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're constantly drawing from a coming kingdom into the brokenness and the pain of this world, and that can be quite a confusing space, particularly when we get tired. And so as the story goes, when they did a a bit of uh, an investigation into how that operation took place, it was down to fatigue. It was down to fatigue. Who's feeling fatigued? See, we don't want to be making decisions as those that are following Jesus towards a coming kingdom and as we pull the coming kingdom in today, but within the brokenness and the pain of today, risk making a decision that amputates the wrong arm or causes damage or etc., etc. But we don't want to be paralyzed and not making decisions either. Because it is forceful people that are able to advance the kingdom, the scriptures teach us. Is that okay? We are putting on hold the Refacing Ancient Beliefs series. I was going to be preaching that, and so this message may be a little raw. Uh, Truthfully, I prepped it last night. The content is not one night old. The content is eight and a half months old but I put the message together last night as I just switched gears because I just felt it would be helpful to help us process correctly at a time like this. And so that's what we're doing. Is that okay? The scriptures teach us. 1, Chron- 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 36 and 37 says, This praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. David left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly according to each day's requirements. See, this is the thing that we have just sung about and now we read. The Lord has requirements. The Lord, when he speaks, his way is to bring order out of chaos. And so we need to understand as humanity that part of this creation and this creative order that God has put together is that there is a pattern and there are regulations for the way in which we should live and make decisions. And I want to help us, I want to remind us that when we follow God's patterns, there is no harm. But when we lose those patterns, when we lose something of His voice, when we lose something of the coming kingdom and what that looks like, and we start making decisions in isolation based upon our present circumstances, we can run the risk of causing much harm, like losing the wrong arm. What are each day's requirements? Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verses 3 to 6 says this. I've left out a little piece in the middle, which doesn't change the meaning of the text, just by the way. It says, do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, even though a person may be weighed down by misery. So today we're going to look at this text as Solomon writes this record and as recorded in Ecclesiastes as he's gone through life, this incredibly wise man graced by God and wisdom. And he says, do not be in a hurry in the king's presence. He says, obedience brings no harm. He says, there is a wise way. And there is a proper time and procedure for all matters. And so, as we come today around how do we keep making courageous calls in our fatigue? How do we keep... Now, I'm I'm probably going to have to keep up with me. And uh, uh, how do we keep making sure the x-ray is the right way around, not the wrong way around in our fatigue? How do we keep framing things correctly? How do we keep following the right patterns of God? How do we keep within a framework that helps us make good decisions... I want to share these four things because I think they're critical for making good calls. We want to be a courageous people. We want to be people that keep advancing and making good decisions that bring the kingdom of God here on earth. And so number one, let's just look at this. Do not be in a hurry in the king's presence. Do not be in a hurry in the king's presence. I wonder, I wonder... How many of us hurry our time in the King's presence so that we don't have to hurry our time in Netflix and DSTV, etc., etc.? I wonder if your time in the King's presence is rushed through so that we can tick a box to say I've done my time with God. I don't say that judgmentally, I've done that. Sometimes, still do it. But I know that it's not right, or healthy or good. Do not be be in a hurry in the King's presence. The, I think just something of the essence of one of the things that I've learned over the last eight and a half months as my A-type personality, leader personality, wanted to make calls, wanted to bring things to an ending or a decision. I learned that being in the King's presence, unhurried, is the safest place to be. And I want to remind us I want to remind us, all of us that have decisions to make on a daily basis, some small that have little effect on our lives, and some big that have major effects on our lives, do not be in a hurry in the King's presence. Uh, I'm reminded of a story. Charles Spurgeon was this incredible preacher. Some of you may know the name. If you don't know the name Charles Spurgeon, go and Google it. Unbelievable evangelist and preacher. There's a lot that we can learn from his material Uh, his sermons that have been transcribed. I'm so grateful for the people that have done that. But uh, one Saturday evening, so the story goes, uh, one of his congregants came and knocked on his door, and uh, he was busy uh, with God, with his father, preparing for the Sunday's message, Uh, and his helper that was in the home knew that he was not to be disturbed when, when Charles Spurgeon was with God. And so the helper went and opened the door and it was, it was a congregant who was quite, like a, quite intense and said, please go and call Mr. Spurgeon. I have a word from God for him. The helper didn't quite know what to do because he knew not to disturb Mr. Spurgeon. But uh, actually, if somebody's got a word from God, then and it's Saturday night and maybe it's going to affect Sunday. Anyway, the helper didn't quite know and the, the congregant could understand and he could see his hesitation. He said, Go and tell Mr. Spurgeon, I have a word from God for him. So the helper very tentatively goes, knocks on the door with Mr. Spurgeon and says, Sir, there is one of your congregants here who says he has a word from God for you. To which Mr. Spurgeon said, It's okay, I'm with him now. I'll just ask God myself.
0: Don't know how that story ends.
1: But I just wonder if we could be a little bit more Charles Spurgeon-like. That actually, what do we allow to cut in and disturb our time with our Father in heaven? So many of us are fatigued. So many of us are unsure of the decisions we have to make in this broken and sinful world. And how do we make sense of it? And how do we cope with everything that's been thrown at us? How do we do all of these things? And we're just longing for someone to bring a word of the Lord from us. And meanwhile, our Father is saying... I'm like a child and just sit on my lap and they'll tell you. Can we not be in a hurry in the Lord's presence, friends? Can we not be in a hurry? I, I love Jesus. I've just been uh, studying. G- I'm, I've made my life mission studying Jesus. But I think just freshly again, looking through the Gospels, um, as I myself have been in a very conflicted, tumultuous time, and I found God speaking to me in, in a whole lot of like link phrases, Like Jesus was here with his disciples and healing and doing all of those. And then he was here and doing what God does. And God was taking me through the scriptures to the in-between the Jesus getting from here to here. And he walked wherever he went. And so the scriptures don't indicate the time frames but when you do the study, sometimes it was days between healing here and healing here. But we just read it in the Bible like, okay, he healed, and that was, that was pre-lunch. Then he had some lunch, and then he healed, and then he had some dinner, and then he healed again, and then he just did it again the next day. But there's time stretching in between these things as Jesus walked. Jesus walked. It says in the Scriptures, he sat beside the lake. When last did you sit beside a lake? In the presence of of your king in no hurry. He reclined at dinner tables. When last did you have a dinner that went on for five hours? As opposed to gobbling it down so that you could get to the next episode of the series. I don't say that judgmentally uh, because I just say, but actually there's a way of Jesus which is different sometimes to our way. And we can learn lessons in this. Do not be in a hurry in the king's presence. There's this story in Acts chapter 20. Some of you may know it. So Paul, he's with a group of guys, and he's going to be leaving. And uh, it was, it was uh, as a Saturday. It was synagogue day. And so uh, he went there to teach in the morning. Uh, and then the guys just stuck around. And so he carried on talking all day. And then guys just stuck around. And so he carried on talking until midnight. And then someone fell asleep and fell out the window and died. And then Paul went and raised them to life again. And then he carried on going until daybreak. That's what the scripture said, Acts chapter 20. You can go and read it. So he spoke from the morning to the morning. If I were to suggest doing that, I think we would all just not arrive. We wouldn't get ourselves into that so that you wouldn't have to be rude to leave uh, at some point in time, but I think there's something from the patterns of scripture that can help us and teach us just do not be in a hurry. In, in today's day and age where everything bombards us to speed up, to hurry, to get through as much as we can, to it's like it's just incessant. It's incessant, and so the question has to be asked of us, and, and this would be the question uh, to you is, what decision can you make today or tomorrow that will create time for you in the next six months? What decision can you make today that will create time for you in the next six months? Just one of the things to, uh, to help us. I, I, I think I, I love learning from other people. Uh, I, I love learning lessons. And so one of the things that we do as a family, we made a decision very, very early on in the busyness of life and many of you know we've got a lot of kids and so uh, school and sports and it's like, it's mayhem during the day. And so we sit down and have breakfast as a family every day together and we sit down when I'm not traveling or Jax is not traveling and have dinner every day, every day together. And those that are in our home know that. Because we don't want to be in a hurry in each other's presence. As a Staff, as a ministry staff, one of the things we started doing in the midst of all of this that was going on is we just started walking on a Tuesday morning, two hours, no phones. And we just go down and we walk on the beachfront. Now, your job may not allow that. I get that. But there are things that you can do to not be in a hurry in the King's presence. And so what can you do to make sure that you are not hurried in the King's presence? And so we just walk. And there's no agenda. Sometimes we talk, sometimes we pray, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry. But there's time with God to allow Him to speak to us and tell us things like Mr. Spurgeon so that we don't have to wait for a knock on the door for someone else to tell us what we should do. Because they've heard from the Lord. Do not be in a hurry in the King's presence. Number two, it says, obedience... Obey the king and there is no harm. Obedience brings no harm, friends. Obedience brings no harm. I think sometimes we read something of the patterns of God and we start to stress out if we do this, just take tithing for example, it's got nothing to do with the message, but like we we kind of think giving 10% away, like how on earth do we come out at the end of the month? Well, because we have a loving father in heaven who just somehow gets us to the end of the month. Like sometimes the patterns of God make no sense to us. But when we live in the patterns of God, when we live in obedience to His Word, we understand that actually not only is there no harm, there's, there, there's actually fullness of life. It's not just no harm. It is fullness of life. I love Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. It says this, "...of the greatness of His government and peace." There is no end. We know that when we live under the government of Christ, peace is our portion. And there are too many of us sitting in this room that are not at peace just simply by virtue of the fact that we haven't come under the full government of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you into that story today to keep saying, don't just follow His patterns in one area of life and not in another. The safest place any of us can be is in Jesus' hands. In totality. where there's an increase of his government, where there's an increase of obedience to his patterns, there is an increase of peace that has no end. That has no end. Imagine peace that continues to grow and grow and grow. we have told that we can have that. Jesus' instruction in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says this, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So this is the essence of this thing. Obeying the king, when we're not hurried in his presence, will lead to an increase of peace. There will be no harm, but rather an increase in the fullness of life. It is this thing of just dying to ourselves. Take up our cross daily. See, we need to understand that we are. Uh, if, if I can use use an example, we are uh, as people. We are cells in a in a body, in a human body. And as one local church, we are a cell in the body of the broader church. Cells are made to die and regenerate, and to not regenerate, rebirth, form again. get the essence of what i'm saying not not the de- not the exact words i'm not a doctor but there is this thing of dying to self there is this thing of again today i have to make the decision to allow god God's pattern to be over my finances. God's pattern to be over my relationships. God's pattern to be over my marriage. God's pattern to be over my parenting. God's pattern to be over my leadership. I've got to every day make that decision. I've got to say no to myself and I've got to say yes to God. And so there is this continual every day I take up my cross. So every day there is a a death that is going on: death to myself, life in Christ. Death to myself, life in Christ. Death to myself. Life in Christ. So this, this is what cancer does. See, cancer is cells that refuse to die. So health is where cells actually die and new ones form. Cancer is where cells don't die. Too often, we want to not die. Too often, we want things that were to still exist today. And that becomes cancerous. So we've got to allow this thing of death and rebirth, death and rebirth, death and rebirth. It's a way of the kingdom in all of creation within our own body and therefore in our collective body. We've got to allow that to take place. I'm, uh, I'm reminded of this flow. I, 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 I know I'm, I'm a, one of the incredib- incredibly privileged. I have a swimming pool and... Um, Swimming pools like to go green. If you haven't owned a swimming pool, I'm sure you've seen a green swimming pool. This is what happens. Sometimes it can happen overnight because there's a storm. And the pool goes blue to green. And you think, what just happened? You see, a green pool needs treatment. And if it's not treated, it just goes greener and greener and terrible. But here's the deal. If you were to take a little bit of that green water and you were to look at it in a clear jar, it actually looks all right. It doesn't look green. And so here's something of the reality of what this means to us is sometimes we can only know that we are not healthy when we are together. Because when we're on our own in a small sample, we can feel like we're okay even though there's algae and stuff going on that still needs treatment. But when we come together, we get to actually see, as we have relationship with one another, as we have relationship with other churches, as we do all of this stuff, we can actually start to see, like an x-ray, we, got to, we get to see the invisible, it looks clear, we get to see invisible made visible. And so part of the obedience to God's pattern is that we would continue to, um, to die to ourselves and continue to give ourselves uh, the treatment that is due. Give us... Continue to lay down our lives. Continue to say, Jesus, it's you. Continue. If we don't give ourselves that treatment, if we refuse to die daily, we become that green pool, we become that cancerous cell. Death is part of the kingdom of God. It's okay because we get to look forward to the new thing that births because that's what God does. He rebirths. Part of, part of uh, dying daily, I, I, I read this quote or was told this quote some time ago and, and it's been so instrumental in my life is it's not about what vision I have. It's about what vision has me. See, if I have a vision, then I don't want to die to that thing. I, I don't want to keep dying because I have something that I'm aiming at that I want to accomplish. But if there is a vision that has taken hold of me, I'll gladly die to submit myself into that which God is busy doing amongst us. And so it's not about your vision. It's about what vision has you. And it helps us make these daily decisions, the courageous call. How do we make the courageous call? It's about the vision that has captivated our hearts. And so question for us, what obedient decision can you make today? that will release peace into your life? What obedient decision can you make today that will release peace into your life? And that is a spiritual government decision. Because of the increase of the government of Christ, there will be no end. And where there is an increase in the government of Christ, there is an increase in peace. And so what spiritual government decision can you make today so that peace will increase in your life? Number three: just the fruit of the wise heart, the scripture talks uh, talks about uh, the wise heart understands the proper time and procedure. And so just want to quickly look in, in, in one Kings chapter three, Solomon. Uh, we know he was a wise guy if we understand the scriptures and have read the scriptures. Um, but there were a couple of things that came out of his wisdom. And so one, a great number of people, followed him, as numerous as sand on the seashore, it says. And it says the community, they ate, they drank, and they were happy. So there was provision for everybody. Everybody had their own vine and fig tree. They lived in safety and peace on all sides. And a fruit of wisdom is that they would live in peace on all sides. And the world took notice and came to ask questions and seek answers. See, when we live with a wise heart, people want to say, hey, why are you different? How come your family looks like that? Well, it's as simple as we have breakfast and dinner. That's not a boast. I'm just saying this is the way we do it. So please take it in the right spirit. But no, there's some things we've made, some good spiritual governance calls that increases peace, which allows us to look like the way we do. And so people start to ask questions. It's a fruit of a wise heart. It's an outcome of a wise heart. See, so when the church is seeking wisdom, when the church is seeking insight and understanding, as we read in 1 Kings chapter 4, Um, then we know that we'll have peace on all sides, we'll have provision, we'll be happy, and the world will stand up and take notice. I don't know if you know this, but uh, we often think, we think something about ourselves. So who we really are. But we also know that who we think we are and who we really are are not, not often the same thing. Who you really are, most often comes out when you're under pressure. When you're under pressure. See, so there have been some things in the past eight and a half months that uh, have had to be refined in me as the pressure has been on. And God has been gracious and merciful and slow to anger, which I'm very grateful for, because I think there were probably a, a few times He could have struck me down but actually we make courageous calls when we live with a wise heart and we keep seeking his wisdom because there is peace and there is provision and there is increase and people start to say, hey, why are you responding like that when everything in me wants to respond differently as we keep dying to ourselves, as we keep choosing the way of the coming kingdom, not responding in the way of the brokenness of this world. And we keep saying there's another way There is a way of the lamb, not the way of the dragon. There is a way of the lamb. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. See, we're always going to be pulled towards the bigger object. I I don't know. So this is going back some time. And so I'm fully aware. I'm using an example that probably only half this auditorium were here for. Um, So gravity is what happens when there is a big object and the smaller object gets pulled towards it. That's gravity in an essence. And so whatever the biggest object is in your life, that's what you're going to be pulled towards. So if our past is bigger than our future, we're going to gravitate towards our past. But if our future is bigger than our past, we'll gravitate towards our future. So here's the deal. The older we get, the harder that becomes. Just by virtue of the fact that our past, the, the, we've had some major wins and milestones. That's not a bad thing. It's just a harder thing. Because we've seen God's hand and we've, we've seen, I, I'm now old enough to have had glory days. Like legitimately, Jack and I were talking the other day and remember when? Well, <gasps> we've become those people. <laughs> remember when we did this? Like, I do remember and I'm so glad that we've got Greater glory days ahead. And so we've got to understand that in the context, we have a coming kingdom which is far greater than anything here on earth. And so if our lives are not dictated by the coming kingdom, we have the risk of being pulled towards what was. The 121-year-old story, not the 122nd year, or the 123rd year, or the 124th year. So we want to keep moving in that direction. There was a a story of a a boy who was showing quite a lot of talent for judo. And um, he he had an accident. It seems to be the left arm thing. I think that's probably where the x-ray thing came from. And he lost his left arm in the the accident. Uh, But he was determined to carry on doing judo. And so his judo master accepted him and said, I will continue to teach you even though you only have one arm and doing judo with one arm is not ideal. But he says, I I will take you on this condition that you do exactly what I say. And the young boy agreed that he would do that. And for the next couple of years, the judo master would spend time with this boy and just teach him one move, which happened to be the most difficult move in judo. Just teach him one move. And this boy was all, all good for the first couple of months. And then he started to get tired. And he started to say, I'm watching all these other boys in training and they're doing all these other cool things. Can't I do that? And the judo master said, No, you can't do that. You agreed to do this. And so reluctantly, the boy just learned this one move and this one move and this one move. And it came to his first competition. And uh, he was there with a whole lot of boys that obviously had two arms and legs, and people started to feel a bit sorry for him, uh, I, I admired his courage, but uh, obviously with a bit of, like, I don't know that that's a fair fight, you know. And he made it through to the final. And in the final, he was fighting a boy, or uh, what, what do you do with judo? Fight, uh, compete compete with uh, a boy that was much bigger, stronger, faster uh, all all of this stuff. And so again, the crowd, when his name was announced, they applauded, but it was all that like resigned applause. Like you are so courageous, my boy. And you're going to get thumped at the same time. And so the judo match went on. And, uh, as they were going, the, the older, stronger, fitter boy lost his concentration for a second. And this guy with one arm executed his move, ended up winning the match. the judo master was interviewed afterwards to say, how could you train this guy with one arm to win this competition with with this guy? And he said, well, one, he has mastered the most difficult move in judo, and two, the only defense to that move is grabbing your opponent's left arm, which he did not have. The story, the point of the story in this context is this. Sometimes we think our inconveniences rob us of our call. I want to tell you that they don't. They just open up opportunities to do new things. Inconveniences are sometimes the place where we have our greatest ministry. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was on a ship and he was going to defend himself to Rome. He, he had felt the call of God that he was going to Rome. And then there's a shipwreck. And the ship breaks into pieces and they find themselves scrambling onto, uh, onto an island. And you could legitimately think at that, that time that Paul could go like, okay, well, shes, that's not going to happen. Uh, or in the, in, the, in the moments of the storm and the shipwreck, like Paul's thinking, uh, could possibly think, be excused for thinking, well, I'm not going to accomplish what... I desired to do, which was to get to Rome to put my case before the Roman uh, leader at that point in time. But you see, when you have a call, friends, the vehicle that gets you there doesn't matter. The vehicle may not get there. Because God's purposes will always, will always stand. See, in the days of Jonah, Jonah got onto a ship and he was being disobedient to God and harm was coming upon the sailors of that ship, if you know the story of Jonah. His disobedience, there was a storm and it was breaking the ship up. And he realized that and he said, throw me overboard. The purposes of God still unfolded. He went to preach to Nineveh and they repented. And so sometimes there is disobedience which causes harm. And sometimes there's just earthly circumstance which causes harm. Neither of those are disqualifying factors for the purpose of God being fulfilled. And so I just want to keep framing and helping us make courageous calls and understanding the proper time and procedure, as we continue on this journey. See our spirit in all of this. So as as Paul was able to remain upbeat, Paul was able to look after his spirit. See our spirit, friends, is our responsibility. Circumstances don't get to dictate my spirit. Paul lands on this, they get washed up on shore onto this island called Malta. And it says, these people were of unusual kindness. Unusual kindness. The testimony of, a, of an island nation being unusual kindness. I'm like, wow, that's a representative of the kingdom. That's representative of the kingdom. Malta means sweetness. What happened as they got onto uh, onto the beach was they made a fire. We we can read this in Acts chapter 28 if you're looking for a reference, verses 1 to 6. But uh, there's a fire on the beach, and it forces a viper out. And it latches onto Paul's hands. And so they all go, oh, he's a cursed man. He's been disobedient. Cursed man, cursed man. He shakes off the viper. He doesn't die. Oh, he's a god. Taking our cues off of men is a very poor thing to do because one day they curse you and the next day they praise you. Never, never, never make decisions based on what man's opinion of you. We make decisions by being in the unhurried presence of our King as we obey his patterns. Just a statement. Now, sometimes the devil is more convinced, convinced of the call over us than we are. Sometimes we hit a shipwreck and we think the purpose has ended. Sometimes we hit some challenges and we think the purpose has ended. Don't let the devil be more convinced of the purposes and call over us as a church and over you as an individual than what we are collectively ourselves. Sometimes our inconveniences are where we will see our greatest ministry. So the question for this, is are you holding on to how you were born or how you have been born again? See, friends, we are dictated to and determined by the coming kingdom, not by the past kingdom, which we were born into. And so do not let decisions be made from how we were born, but rather make decisions based on how we've been born again. Lastly, just the proper time and procedure. Exodus chapter 16 There's the story and uh, uh, the people of God are needing to be fed. And so God provides manna from heaven. Some of us may know that story. And uh, manna literally means, what is it? That's what it means. What is it? And God gave them an instruction. You go out for six days. Every day you go out and you collect just enough for the day. Don't don't leave any over for the next day because it will have maggots in it. Just for today, go and have it. Just for today, go and have it. Just, And then on the, on the sixth day, collect for two days. So there was a pattern of God. There was a correct procedure that the Israelites had to follow. And those Israelites that didn't follow the procedure, when they went out the one day and they had collected enough for another day, and then they thought when everyone else was going out and collecting, and they thought, ah, I can sleep in because I've got a little bit left over. Then when they went to open it, the Scripture said it was full of maggots. And so they didn't get to eat that day. And so actually obedience to God brings no harm. Disobedience brings harm. But here was the pattern. Six days go and collect, one day rest. I fear too many of us, we go and collect God's word one day. And we don't for six and we wonder why we're fatigued and we wonder why we can't make courageous calls and we wonder why we can't move forward and we wonder why the kingdom of God is not coming in our lives and we wonder why we're not being able to progress in that. Please do not let this moment on, this, on a Sunday be your only time of going to collect the manna. See, the scriptures, was, that was left. So, so the manna was then put into a jar and it was put into the Ark of the Covenant so that all generations could know that there is a pattern to God. And our responsibility is to go out each day and ask of him, what is it for today? What is it for today? What is the food that's going to sustain me today? And don't let me collect food for a week ahead. What is it for today? There is a proper time and a proper procedure, friends. We cannot make decisions, we cannot make courageous calls of our future based on a decision, a similar decision we made a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, ten years ago. Because today, we're following Jesus. Because today, He has manner. Today, He has a way. He has a proper time and a procedure. We know, we read through all the scriptures for His disciples. Take a sword, don't take a sword. Take some money, don't take some money. I think He was just messing with their minds. Just to prove the point, are you going to be obedient to me? Don't hurry in the king's presence. And so just as we come to understanding Domino, I, I am fully aware that there are people in this room that have no context of the Domino Foundation, uh, etc. And so uh, this message is a standalone. You can have courage to make courageous calls You can have a pattern and a framework around these things. But I do want to just take one minute to just talk around Domino. And so I want you to know that the leadership team involved with handling this have spent the past eight and a half months seeking God and asking each day, what is it for today? I want you to know that, friends. In the end, we have chosen the way of the Lamb. What does that mean? It means this, the way of the lamb in the scriptures, like a lamb led to the slaughter, it actually speaks of a ewe, it speaks of a female sheep, not a ram, because rams butt heads, ewes don't. And so the way of the lamb, the way of the ewe, is that we have made a decision not to butt heads. The way of the Lamb speaks of silence. We will not defend. The way of the Lamb speaks of gentleness. Don't mistake gentleness for a lack of strength. Only the truly strong can be gentle. It speaks of humility because we know that we all only stand because of God's mercy. And possibly most importantly, it speaks of trust in our Heavenly Father, because he is the great rescuer, redeemer, restorer, and builder.
0: We have not been in a hurry in God's presence. We have spent eight and a half months praying, fasting, seeking counsel. We have endeavored to be obedient in each step over the past eight months. We've sought wisdom. And we believe that this is the proper time and procedure for releasing Domino as a ministry. As we put Domino into God's hands to determine its future.
1: Ecclesiastes 8, do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, even though a person may be weighed down by misery. Friends, I want to encourage you to keep making courageous calls. Keep making courageous calls. There is a coming kingdom, and we keep drawing from that coming kingdom for today. Do not be in a hurry in the King's presence. Obedience brings no harm. There is fruit of the wise heart, and there is a proper time and procedure for everything.